we are near, in fact, in the chapter that we're in, we will receive the message that Jerusalem has fallen. Uh, and as we go through our outline here, we have gone through the case, uh, uh, the oracles of judgment against Jerusalem. We heard set out very clearly the reason why God was bringing judgment against Jerusalem. He stated his case very well, God did, uh, and made it unambiguous as to why Jerusalem was to be punished, why the nation of Israel needed to be punished. He also laid out a case against the foreign nations around Israel uh, that that these nations, because of their disobedience towards God, because of their celebration of the hardships that Israel was receiving, that they too would receive that judgment also. And now uh, we're into this, uh, the section here where Jerusalem is falling, and we're going to see it. You know, we changed from the focus on Jerusalem to the focus on the nations around, and now we're going to change our focus back to Jerusalem. And now that Jerusalem has fallen, what now? What's in store now? And we will see as, as we go through these later chapters, the future for Jerusalem, both short-term and long-term. So the, the, the oracles that, that Ezekiel is continuing to receive will, will bring us to and past this age that we're living in. It takes us to the end of times and the the millennial kingdom and beyond. So we will see that as we go through the rest of this, this book. It's a fascinating book, and we're just about to get into uh, some really interesting things, especially concerning where we're at today. So I've kind of broken the, the outline down a little bit differently here. You know, as we've studied this book in chapters 1 through 3, uh, we saw Ezekiel's capture, his captivity, uh, his calling and his commission as a, as a prophet. He, he received some very specific and very wild <laughs> visions. It says in this chapter, uh, I, Ezekiel, saw visions, and, and boy, did he see visions. In the next section, uh, chapters uh, 4 through 24 was God's coming judgment against Jerusalem and again the underlying reasons for that. And then the next passage was the judgment on the nations and his reasoning for that. And I have titled this message Just Judgment. And we have just gone through 24 chapters where God laid out his reasons for his judgment on the people. And he also, if, if we go back to Ezekiel 18, there was a, there's a lot of, of explanation there about why this judgment that's falling on the nation uh, also, as, as we know, impacts the individuals. And it's, it's not just a judgment on a nation, but when you, when you judge and punish a nation, you actually, the impact falls on, on individuals as well. And we're going to get a little bit more into that today. Now this chapter, chapter 33, that we're starting out with, uh, 
if you look in, in your Bibles, it probably has a header on this chapter that says something about watchmen. And chapter 34 talks about shepherds. So we're talking about it, it, this these two chapters that I'm going to, I don't know how far we're going to get today, but we might not get past 33. Uh, but these two chapters focus on leadership, those in the leadership spiritually as well as civilly and corporately. Um, and, and there are good messages in these two books about leadership. But if you think about it, really, uh, all of us are in some form of leadership somehow, either within our families, at work, uh, in the, the social groups that we're involved in. You know, we have, you know, we all experience at some point some level of leadership. And just as we're reading in Titus, as, as we're studying in Titus in our Sunday, in our, our Sunday messages, uh, we know that the things that are described for the leaders in Titus also apply for us as Christians. And I think we can look at that same kind of principle as we go through the, these two chapters, that these things that are, are assigned to leaders, watchmen, leaders, and, and shepherds, uh, that we as Christians individually uh, can learn and, and adapt something to this. In fact, it was these two chapters uh, that I started studying a year or so ago uh, in order to you know, fully understand my role here as an elder in this church. I, I looked at this chapter, and this is kind of what got me involved and interested in the book of Ezekiel. So this, you know, Ezekiel can draw you in with a whole bunch of things. <laughs> But these are the chapters that drew me in. Um, so, you know, think about it as, as we're going through this book or this chapter. You know, what does it have to say to me as, as an individual Christian? So, uh, in Ezekiel 33.1, uh, it starts out in the way that a lot of his chapters start out or a lot of his passages start out. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, and, and here we notice that there's no time stamp, if you will. Uh, some of the visions c come with a very specific time when it was given, so we don't know uh, for sure when this was given. However, like I said, in the middle of this chapter, we do get a time stamp, uh, a specific date on which the message of the word message came that that Jerusalem had fallen. So, you know, we're we're making an assumption here, and, and it is an assumption uh, that that these visions came at about that time. And if you, you look at the the text here, it kind of implies that, but it it's not something uh, necessary to to build a church on, as 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 is said. So this passage. Uh, you know, again, if we take our date from the message of the of the when, that Jerusalem has fallen, that happened in the twelfth year, the tenth month, the fifth day uh, of King Jehoiachin's exile. Again, Ezekiel dates things from the date of the exile, the beginning of the exile uh, from King Jehoiachin's time. And we're going to look at a passage in Jeremiah that has a different date on it, but it's dated 
from a different perspective. So, you know, the fact that these two dates don't have the same numbers in them doesn't mean anything. Uh, you know, we there are ways to reconcile them, and that's more work than I wanted to put into it today. So, if we look at the schedule that we've or the timetable that we've looked at, we're right at the very end of it, uh, at the time when Jerusalem is taken. That that twelfth year of exile, and uh, this may be the last time we see this timeline because the timelines that we're dealing with from this point forward in the book uh, are a whole bunch different. So it served its purpose, and we'll move on from that. But in Ezekiel uh, 33-1, you know, I've kind of covered everything I have written down here. So we'll just get into the end of the book. Um, and this this chapter and these two chapters kind of deal a lot with accountability as well. So uh, as we go through there, you know, not only is it, are we addressing leadership here, but we're talking about the accountability of leaders as we go through this. Uh, and there's a lot of language in this chapter that if you don't know your theology, if you don't know the full teaching of God, that could be misinterpreted as, as salvation by works. And, you know, there's, again, there's some language here that, that you could interpret that way based on this only. But because we, we follow the whole counsel of Scripture, uh, we know that, Salvation is by grace and grace alone. There is nothing you can do. You can't be good enough. You can't be righteous enough to avoid the punishment that we are due based on the the sin of, of all mankind, that sin nature that's within us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And unless we meet that perfect standard, and we cannot do that, the only way that we can be declared righteous is by that imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. So keep that in mind as we go through these. Don't let the language here uh, get in the way uh, of, of salvation and the message that we have in that respect. So there's a caution. You know, the, the idea that, you know, there's, a, there's an idea that faith and works go together. You know, uh, Paul even said, you know, show me a man faith by his works, uh, that doesn't mean that that salvation comes from works, but that, you know, there's also a passage that says we are saved for good works. We're not saved by our works. So we are called, once we are saved, we are called to do good works. We're called to do good things. And because of that new heart that's within us, once we are saved, uh, we are a new creature, and that new creature should uh, reflect that truth as well. So that doesn't mean uh, that there is nothing connected with the things that we do, the righteous life that we live. If we live a righteous life, that will be rewarded, but it's not rewarded by salvation. It's rewarded by responsibility and position uh, in, in the millennial kingdom as well as in all of eternity. So uh, what we are 
Now, we're, we're doing good works because that's what God wants us to do. We're not doing them for any reward. Let me make that clear as well. Uh, but because we are obedient to God, because we do have a righteousness that, that comes from Jesus Christ, uh, we are to live out that righteousness and witness for him. And there are things that God asks us to do that if we do them, we will be rewarded with the crown uh, in, in that eternal state. So, uh, you know, nothing that we do uh, affects our salvation other than accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. <clears throat> and with that said, I do believe that, God's hold, that God does hold us accountable for whatever role and position he calls us to. You know, whatever specific gifts that he has given us, uh, there is a sense that we are accountable to him and how we use those gifts. Uh, for example, if, if, if God's given us a gift to teach uh, or giving, God holds us accountable based on how we use those gifts. Uh, it, does that mean we have to give up our day jobs? And go into full-time ministry? Well, no, I don't think so. Uh, but he has given us uh, gifts to use in his kingdom, and, and how we use those gifts uh, is, is measured and is, is, is kept track of by God, for lack of another phrase. That doesn't mean, uh, you know, God expects us to use our time wisely for him. And he expects us, you know, you've heard the phrase, grow where you're planted. You know, I'm, a, I'm an engineer at Ford Motor Company. Uh, I need to be a Christian engineer at Ford Motor Company. My witness needs to be, you know, and we'll talk about this more later too. Uh, I'm not just a Christian Sunday morning when I give messages up here. I am a Christian every day of the week. And my life and the way I live my life and the way that I speak to other people and the things that I share with other people needs to be consistent. I need to be that person seven days a week, 24-7. You know, God knows that we need to make a living, and he, he allows us, he, he gives us talents to, to have jobs, but we need to be Christians in our jobs. You know, uh, he expects us to use our gifts uh, in the way that he would like us to use them, to bring glory and honor to God in all that we do. So coming back to the lesson themes, uh, what's going on in these two chapters? In chapter 33, uh, God lectures Ezekiel on the importance and, and what it means to be a watchman. Watchman is the word that they use. Now, a watchman... Uh, is somebody who stood on the walls of a city. Now keep in mind, cities at this time, there were walls around the cities, but the, those walls didn't contain everything connected with that city. There were people that lived outside the walls. The, the farmlands that provided food for the city were outside the walls. Uh, the livestock and stuff largely was kept outside the walls. So there were watchmen on the walls and on watchtowers in and around the cities that when they saw an enemy coming, would sound the trumpet. And we'll, we'll read about that, or we'll look at that a little bit too. 
and they would sound the trumpet. And at the sound of the trumpet, all the people who lived outside of the city walls would come into the city walls to be protected by that. And they would need to come quickly before the gates closed. Otherwise, they'd be left on their own. And we'll see some application of that concept here, too. Uh, you know, so the underlying idea of here in calling Ezekiel a watchman and I, <laughs> uh, is that, you know, he, he has been given that responsibility spiritually to look and see when the sword is coming, uh, when is the judgment of God coming, and to sound the alarm that those who hear the alarm and choose to obey that call would be brought in to the protection of God. Uh, so in chapter 34 is more addressed to the leaders of Israel. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion in the, commenta uh, in the commentaries about whether chapter 34 is talking about the, the priests, the church leaders, or the, the civil leaders. Uh, you know, we in our society have separated these a whole lot, but in ancient times uh, there was very little distinction sometimes between those two groups. So uh, we also learn in chapter 34 that, that there's a promise in there that God himself is going to lead them. And this may be a, a messianic prophecy or messianic promise as well. You know, I've barely gotten into verse 1. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, the, the word here that we're reading. Uh, you know, there are limits of accountability as well. And in Ezekiel 1, uh, verses 1 through 5, kind of talk about this. God does not hold us accountable if the person, you know, we, we are called to be witnesses in the world. Uh, but God does not hold us accountable if the person that we're witnessing to decides not to uh, follow Jesus based on, on the witness and testimony that we're given. Now, we used to belong to a church that was very evangelical focused. And there was a lot of pressure put on us uh, as members of this church to evangelize those people around us, to be a constant witness uh, to, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we even went so far as, as to have days where, where we went into neighborhoods uh, giving out batteries for fire alarms so that we could have a conversation with people and invite them to our church and, and tell them about Jesus. And, and there was a lot of pressure put on us to be that effective witness, to be that. Well, Ezekiel here in these verses kind of gives us good news about that because we are called to be witnesses, but we are not accountable if the person that we witness to uh, does not listen. That falls on them. There's a passage in the Bible that talks about if, if people didn't speak out, the rocks would cry out. God can make witnesses of rocks. He doesn't need me to be a witness for him. He wants me to be a witness for him. He has rewards if I be a witness for him but he doesn't need me to witness to anybody. There is nobody 
going to eternal punishment because I didn't do a good job witnessing. Uh, so that pressure that that church put on us in that respect, I believe was wrong uh, and very wrong. And it, and it really uh, sends the wrong message about, you know, puts people under, under way too much pressure uh, to be things they aren't necessarily and to do things that they aren't necessarily called to do. So if we if we fail, it in in well, let me go back to to what I was saying. You know all these. Yeah, I'm not sure what I wanted to say. If we fail in our particular role for God, it's not going to hurt God. It's going to hurt us. There's blessings that God wants to give us for obedience and following in His way, but if we fail to witness to a particular individual that God brings in our path, God's going to bring somebody else into that person's life that will send the message that God wants them to hear. Uh, again, he can, he can raise witnesses out of rocks. He doesn't need me. So let's look into these verses a little bit more, verses 1 through 5. You know, this, this chapter... Uh, Yeah, my notes don't make sense here, so let me figure out what I want to say here. We're talking about, uh, let's just read. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon a land and the people of the land take one man from, a, from among them and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take a warning, and a sword comes and take him away, his own his blood will be on his own head. And this this idea of the trumpet, the uh, you know, I, I found this picture and I thought it was a good one. Uh, but the 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 trumpet here that was used is the shofar. Uh, the, if you look at the Hebrew here, it's referring to the shofar, which was a ram's horn. Uh, and the, the watchman would, would carry this with him at all times. And when he saw danger, when he saw the sword coming, as, as, as is referred to here. And again, Ezekiel's a watchman for the spiritual uh, portion or aspects of Israel. He did warn them about the, the physical stuff that was happening too, but mainly he was calling them back to obedience. Uh, and we see what happened in history. Uh, there are archaeological evidences of what happened in history in order to uh, bring about or what happened during God's judgment, the, the sacking of Jerusalem, the complete destruction of the city and the temple. Uh, I've got a slide later that shows some, some of that. Uh, all this this happened in, in Ezekiel was warning that it would happen and calling the people back to repentance and obedience. Do I think God's hand could have been say, stayed had they repented and come back? I do. I, you know, I think God is always willing to uh, delay uh, or, or defer punishment when, when people turn to him. Uh, we see that in the in the discussion about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, would you spare the city for for 
20 righteous and, and you know, still the city was not spared because the righteous couldn't be found there. Now this, this shofar, this ram's horn, you can actually buy one on Amazon for $54 if, if you'd like. So it is available. I'm not going to go into that anymore. Um, but all, the idea here uh, is that Ezekiel needs to do his job as watchman. And, and if he does his job, he will not be, you know, individuals are punished for what they do individually. That's one of the messages here. And, and this is where I get the title from Just Judgment. God's not going to judge you. And if we go back to chapter 18, it says the same thing. We're not going to be judged for what our fathers did. Uh, the sons are not to be judged for what the fathers did. The fathers aren't judged for what the sons do. But each one is judged according to what, what he did. Uh, Christianity, salvation, isn't something that you inherit from your parents. Uh, we've heard that phrase before. Uh, it is something that each person is responsible for. I am a Christian. I am a follower of God. I believe. Uh, I have believed that Jesus is, the, is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, and is the one who died on a cross, suffering for the sins that I have committed. Uh, that's an individual thing. So if someone hears the message and ignores it, that falls on them. Uh, if I'm condemned to all eternity, to punishment and all eternity, it's because I didn't do those things that I needed to. Not the actions, but the heart belief. Did I believe? Uh, I, I love the story of, of the, the thief on the cross who died with Jesus, who asked Jesus to remember him. Uh, Alistair Begg has a has a good illustration of the story when he when he talks about uh, that that the thief uh, when he was coming to the pearly gates was asked by the angel at the gate you know why do you deserve to come in here and, and you know what what have you done to to further the kingdom of God did you do all these good things and no I didn't do any of that I was a thief. And I, and I was justly crucified for the things that I did in my life. And the angel says, well, you know, where do you stand on the doctrine of sanctification by faith? And the thief says, <laughs> don't know anything about it. So they call the supervisor and they come back and say, well, what church did you belong to? And, you know, no church, never stepped inside a church building in all my life. Well, well, why do you think that you belong in here then? And the response was this, that the man on the middle cross said I could come. And that's what makes you eligible to come into the presence of God is that sanctification that is put on you by Jesus Christ once you believe in him. So, You know, Ezekiel's done his job communicating. As, as watchman, he sounded the horn. And, and all of the Israelites who ignored his warnings and ignored the things that he was trying to do, uh, they, if they've not changed, 
their ways, then then they are accountable. They are the ones that are going to bear the punishment for for disobedience. Ezekiel is not responsible for that. So let's uh, let's look a little bit more here at this parable. Here's another example of a of a watchman standing on. You know, there, I tried to find a picture like this, and when I looked online, everything was from. Uh, the Middle Ages, not <laughs> not ancient history, but continuing on in in the passage that we have in Ezekiel five and six, it says he heard the sound of the trumpet. That's the the individuals heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood will be on himself, but had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming, and does not blow the trumpet. And the people are not warned, and a sword comes and takes a person from them. He is taken away in his iniquity. Uh, that person who did not listen is taken away in iniquity. But uh, his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Uh, that doesn't mean that the watchman is, is, loses his salvation if he doesn't. You know, that's not what we're saying here at all. But the reward that he gets for acting in obedience for God would be taken away from him. Uh, not salvation, but the reward in heaven. You know, the, uh, the point here in this parable is that the guy uh, on the tower, if he fails to blow the horn and warn the people, then the horn blower is at fault and God will demand uh, accountability from that person. So as, as a watchman, as a leader, uh, you are accountable if you don't follow the things that God is doing for you. Uh, the man with the horn has a responsibility uh, if the, and to warn the people of the town. And if the people of the town hear the call, hear the horn, and react, God, will, God holds them accountable. So, you know, here we're talking about accountability of two people, the watchman, uh, or the person who, who blows the horn, uh, or the, the individual who hears the horn and come. But doesn't the invading army have some ac accountability here? Isn't the influences of evil? Uh, you know, and, and aren't, aren't they to blame in some respects? Well, you know, we could talk about whether it's fair or not uh, to blame those the two people in the city versus the army. You know, isn't, isn't this really all the fault of the, the bad influences that come in? Uh, well, uh, you know, they've got, they've got their own accountability issues with God for the things that they do, these outside influences. But, uh, you know, that's not what we're focused on here or not. So fair or not, uh, we need to do as, as Christians, as witnesses in the world, we need to do the things that we are called to do. And as individuals, we are, we are responsible and accountable in our own way uh, for our salvation based on, on what we do with that message as well. You know, the God, God called Ezekiel to be a preacher, uh, a watchman, 32 chapters ago in this book. And, you know, now... You know, at this point in in time where we're at with Jerusalem falling, 
uh, the, the Israelites in exile, they can't blame Ezekiel uh, for failing to warn them. They can't blame Ezekiel for not delivering that message because he did what God asked him to do. You know, God did his job warning the people, uh, but the people refused to change. You know, God does not hold us accountable for the salvation of others. I said that before, and I, I believe that with all my heart. But God does hold us accountable to be witnesses for him. Uh, God gives us talents and positions of, of authority and holds us accountable uh, for delivering the message, not for the people's failure to react. You know, those who seek God uh, We, we see all around us, and even in our families, people who, who deny God despite the constant messages that they receive about God and his willingness to save them. So, you know, this, this and this is the type of account, accountability that we're talking about in this chapter, uh, the, the responsibility to deliver the message, not for the responsibility of acting on the message. So continuing on, uh, verse 7 says, Now as for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and give warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require from your hand. But if on your part you warn a wicked man to turn away and he does not turn from his way he will die in his iniquity that that is just but you will have delivered your life and again this is not speaking of salvation this is speaking of that life after after you know in in, in the millennial kingdom and beyond And we note here that this, these verses are for Ezekiel. And I want to be sure that we understand that, you know, these, yeah, we don't want to apply this where it doesn't apply. So uh, keep that in mind as well. You know, the message itself uh, here has to do with obedience to God. You know, the nation of Israel at that time in history had turned their collective backs on God and worshiped idols, uh, yet they still gave God lip service by coming to the temple and, and going through all of the rituals that they'd done uh, for ages past. But at the same time, they were guilty uh, of the law because of their worship of idols and other gods. You know, the point is not that each of us is responsible for the repentance of others. The point is that God calls us to be the witnesses that help them to turn away from those bad practices and back to God. You know, we can be witnesses to God right where we, God has us in our lives, but it does not mean that we use our work time. You know, we, I, again, I'm an engineer. I'm not to sit there uh, during the time that I'm supposed to be working uh, by doing Bible study or or engaging in, in witnessing conversations with others, you know, specific, you know, that's not what God's calling us to do. 
you know, we need to be obedient to our masters, if you will. We can go to passages to get support for that if you want. But, you know, we're to be good workers. We're to be uh, effective in, in the things that we do for our employers. But at the same time, we need to live our lives in a manner that reflects that witness for Jesus. Uh, you know, we belong to God and live for him, and that needs to be reflected in the way we live our life. Uh, continuing on, and I can see that we're not going to get through chapter 34 today, so that means I'm better prepared for next week, maybe. Son of man, say to the house of Israel. Now, here we're changing focus a little bit. Say to the house of Israel, thus you have spoken, saying, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us and we are rotting away in them, how can we survive? Now this is kind of a new new idea that's cropped up. You know, before, if we, if we go back to the previous chapters, you know, the Israelites that were in exile with, with Ezekiel tried to blame everything on everybody else other than themselves. It was because of the leadership in Israel. It was because our fathers did this or... or you know, again and again, they would come up with excuses for the way they were behaving because it was some other buddy's fault. Well, Flip Wilson, I hate to tell you this, but the devil didn't make me do it. Uh, these choices were all made because of choices that they made. And here in this passage, we kind of see them accepting that to a degree. You know, it says again in, in verse 10, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us. They have accepted the fate that Ezekiel's been talking about for 24 chapters. Uh, our transgressions and our sins are upon us when we are rotting away in them. How then can we survive? And say to them, it says in verse 11, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn away from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? This is a wonderful message. You know, they have accepted that it was their sins that have caused them to be rotting away in in this remote part of Babylon, 300, 400 miles away from their city of Jerusalem, which they're going to be hearing shortly has been destroyed. Um, but God sent Ezekiel to warn them uh, to turn away, to turn back. God wants us to be in fellowship with him. He desires fellowship with us. He doesn't need us. He wants us. He, he, he loves us, and he wants to have that fellowship with us. You know, when, yeah, never mind. So, you know, as long as, as these Israelites were alive, they had the opportunity to turn away from the idol worship that they'd been practicing. They could turn away and come back and, and be back in that, fellowship and obedience with God that they want. And, and he sent the prophets. He sent uh, Jeremiah. He sent Ezekiel. Uh, gave them messages to send to the people saying, turn away from these things that you're doing and come back to me. 
I want fellowship with you. I take no joy in punishing you. And, and I think we all can, can understand that. You know, there's no joy in taking something that you love and causing it discomfort or harm. Uh, but if we go back to Deuteronomy, we find out that God made a, a, a covenant with them. Uh, and there were rewards for that. There were rewards for following that covenant. When he gave them the law, he said, you know, you do all these things. These are the things that are going to happen to you. These are, you know, you'll, your, your storehouses will be full. Your, your sons and daughters will be healthy. You, you will enjoy peace in the land. All of these things will come to you for obedience. But if you disobey, and that was... You know, uh, I don't have the reference, and I apologize for that. In Deuteronomy, in that chapter, you know, the first dozen or so verses say all of these good things are going to happen to you. But then there's 80 verses uh, explaining what will happen if you don't. People will come against you. I will send a nation whose language you do not understand to destroy you. Those things will happen if you disobey. So part of that covenant that they entered into with God, this wasn't the Abrahamic covenant because the Abrahamic covenant where he promised the land, that was, that was one-sided. God just said, I'm going to give this. I'm going to do this for you. You don't have to do anything for it for you to receive the benefits of this, this promise I'm making. But the, the Mosaic covenant was two-way. I will do this if you will do this. Uh, and... If you don't and, and you deserve the punishment, those, those things will happen as well. So, um, so if we, we are always given a chance to do the right thing. Uh, God wants us to do the right thing. And I think back about the story of, of Moses in, in Egypt when he was trying to get Pharaoh to let his people go. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, it says in the, in the text. And we can't deny that. But could Pharaoh have chosen to do the right thing and let God's people go? And I believe he could. Because God gives each one of us a free will. God is going to accomplish his purposes whether we obey him or not. Uh, in that situation with, with Pharaoh, God was going to get his people out. But he also had another lesson to teach. And that lesson was that he wanted the whole world to know that he was God and it was his hand that got the people out. So even though Pharaoh, I believe, had enough free will that he could have said, yes, I see this. Yes, your God is, is just. Go and worship your God. He could have said that, but he didn't uh, because of his own interests, his own uh, biases and, and his own disdain for God and, and the fact that God had hardened his heart didn't cause him to make those choices that caused pain, but he made those choices and God used them in order to further his purposes of freeing his people and letting the world know who he was. So these things happen. Uh, you know, again, God does not take pleasure in the death of anyone or in the, in the eternal punishment of anyone. He wants us all to live in fellowship with him. And, you know, and, and here uh, in verse 11, 
it stated very clearly, as I live, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn away, turn from his way and live. So Jesus repeated the same message many times. God does not want, it's not God's will that any should die, but that all should come to repentance. This is a repeated theme of, of a lot of scriptures. Uh, continuing on in verse 12. And you, son of man, say to your fellow citizens, the righteousness of a righteous man will not deliver him in the day of his transgression. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he will not stumble because of it in the day when he turns from his wickedness. Whereas a righteous man will not be able to live by the righteousness on the day that he commits sin. This is not the the message here is not that we are saved by our works, but rather by what's in our hearts, and that's how God judges people. Uh, so many times we look at somebody and say, "Well, they've lived a wonderful life. They've done all kinds of wonderful things." Uh, I don't, you know, we we are allowed to judge people on what they do. We're not judging unto salvation, but we're judging, you know, God gives us certain rules about who we fellowship with, who we marry, who we who we have church with, who we associate with outside of outside of these walls. You know, and we're to judge people on the basis of what they do, what they say, what they what they uh, the actions that they take. In, in deciding whether to have fellowship with them as Christians. Uh, you know, God gives us the freedom to do that. We're not judging unto salvation because salvation is a heart issue. You know, once I receive Jesus, once I believe and profess that belief, uh, it should be reflected in the way that I live. But, but no man can know another man's heart. Uh, we cannot judge unto salvation. And, and when we're told not to judge, that's what we're talking about. Not not judging whether or not this person is doing right. We're to judge actions. God judges hearts. Uh, you know, so keep those two ideas separated. Uh, and, you know, the the wording here can make you maybe ask, can somebody lose their salvation? Uh, it, and the answer to that is no. Uh, you know, once you are saved, you are always saved. Uh, you know, in the New Testament, again, we're told to judge behavior when it comes to making decisions on who to be with, but God judges the heart. You know, all of this is stated here uh, in the in this text in an indirect way. In the New Testament, these principles are more plainly laid out uh, in the teachings of, and parables taught by Jesus. Uh, but in the Old Testament, these ideas are given in texts like, like we have here. And in, uh, you know, in, in verse 15, it says uh, about a sinner... It, it says, if a wicked man restores a pledge and pays back what he has taken by robbery, walks by the statutes which ensure life without committing an iniquity, he shall surely live. These actions, giving back the things that he's taken. Now, in, in 
according to uh, the law in Israel, you weren't allowed to take interest from a loan, but you could take uh, uh, something in, in promise to pay back. That's what surety is referring to here. And in common practice at this time was that people would give loans and take take something and pledge for that loan, but when the loan was paid off, they wouldn't give the, the surety back. And that's stealing. That was against the Jewish law. So, you know, righting wrongs and, and giving back something that you've stolen uh, is kind of a reflection of what's in your heart. So when you've become a Christian, you now have this new heart within you, and it will affect how you live. Uh, but even with that, we can't see men's hearts. So we are not to judge unto salvation. We're judging uh basically, and, and who we want to live with, what we want to do. You know, these things uh, are just an example, uh, given as examples of how to judge somebody's behavior. Uh, continuing on in verse 17, uh, Yet your fellow citizens say the way of the Lord is not right, when it is their own way that is not right. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, then he, he shall die to it. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and practices justice and righteousness, we shall live with them. You know, uh, saying that God isn't being fair is denying the nature of God. Uh, it is, it's in the nature of God to be just and righteous in the things that he does. Uh, you know, by by saying this, the people were arguing with God and and, and illustrating uh, that they didn't trust God to be who he was. You know, if a person wants to turn from God, why should God want to spend eternity with that man? Uh, at the same time, if a wicked person really, really and truly wants to be with God like the, like the thief on the cross, uh, if he really wants to spend eternity with God, why wouldn't God want to do that? Uh, why wouldn't God welcome that person who turned away from his, his sins and iniquities? You know, the point here is that God will judge us based on 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 if we believe. If we have truly accepted Jesus as our Savior and and believed in him as the Son of God, and, and the person who paid the price for our sins on the cross, if we truly do that, uh, then we will be judged accordingly. If we desire, if we truly desire to turn to God, uh, no matter what we've done in our lives, then we are saved. Uh, and, you know, why should we turn to God now? Uh, we don't know, you know, if, if we can always turn away from those bad things that we do and, 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 become saved just by this confession, this belief that we talk about all the time. If we can really truly do that, why not live the life the way I want to live it? And, you know, just eat, drink, and be merry all the days of my lives until the last minute and then, then turn to God and he will receive me. Well, that's true, but I don't know. It's not given unto man to know the days of his life. So he does not know how long, you know, your, li your life could be taken from you tomorrow uh, and, and all would be lost. And at that point, 
even if you had lived your life spotless and and done every good thing that you can, uh, those thoughts that you had still keep you from that fellowship with God because it is that belief and that understanding. Turn to God now. You don't know what your days bring. So then we come to verses 21 and 22, which is, uh, this is a, a monumental point in time. It says this, Now in the twelfth year of our exile, on the fifth of the tenth month, the refugees from Jerusalem came to me saying, The city has been taken. Now the hand of the Lord has been upon me in the evening and, the, and before the refugees came, and he opened my mouth at the time they came to me in the morning so that my mouth was opened and I was no longer speechless. If you remember back in chapter 3, uh, Ezekiel's mouth was closed and he was only able to speak when God gave him a message to speak. But now that Jerusalem has fallen, he says here in this verse, in verse 22, my mouth was opened and, and I, could, I was no longer speechless so he could talk about these things. And, you know, it, it, it says, you know, the date that's given here is the date that the message came. And we don't know necessarily the, the length of time that it took for those refugees to make their way to where the exiles were in Babylon from Jerusalem. And, but we do know that certain people came, you know, it, if we read in, in some of the other, well, I'm going to turn to Jeremiah. Let's turn back in, in to Jeremiah uh, chapter 52. It talks about the fall of Jerusalem and, and gives dates, certain dates. And again, these dates don't necessarily agree. Um, but if we look at verse 12, it says, now on the 10th day of the fifth month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, captain of the bodyguard who was in the service of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord, the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Even every large house he burned with fire. So all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down all the walls around Jerusalem. Then Neb Nebuzar... <laughs> you know how many times I said this at home so that I'd be able to say it here? It doesn't work. Neb Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away into exile. Some of the poorest of the people, the rest of the people who were left in the city, the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon, and the rest of the artisans. So all these people were carried to Babylon following the defeat of Jerusalem. And these these people then came to see uh, to see Ezekiel and talk to him about what had happened. And at that time, that that's when this date, the twelfth year, the tenth month, uh, is when these people finally made it to Jerusalem. And you know, there's. Yeah, I'm trying to decide what I want to close with because I know I'm about out of time. So in, in archaeological discoveries, uh, there is 
ample evidence to, to date and understand when this occurred uh, in the year 586 BC. This is a, a picture of an area of excavation where they have found the charred remains of some houses and buildings uh, in the city of David. And where those ladders are set up, in there was pottery found that, that it comes from that era. And, and the, the fire was so intense that it, it reached over 1,000 degrees. And at that temperature, the, the, the material that the potteries are made out of, I actually pulled this out of an article about studying the magnetic fields as they were uh, at that period of time because by heating this material up to the, the, the material that the floors were made of and, and the pottery was made of, uh, when you heat it to that temperature, the, the, the metals or the, the compounds in, in the pottery realign to the uh, magnetic lineup of what the magnetic poles were. And they're using these to study uh, the changes in the intensity and direction of magnetic fields nowadays. So, you know, there is ample evidence that this occurred of this destruction of Jerusalem. So uh, in that article, they quoted a, a scholar as saying, I don't know of anyone who doubts the historicity of this event, that, that this really happened. There's not much debate in the scientific community that it did or didn't, did not occur. Uh, but coming uh, to this next passage uh, in turning back to Ezekiel, 33, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, those who live in the waste places in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one, yet he possessed the land. So to us who are many, the land has been given as a possession. And this is talking about, I didn't go far enough in, in Jeremiah, but in Jeremiah uh, chapter 52 verse 16 says, but Neb Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. And these are the people that, that Ezekiel's referring to here. Those people left behind saying, this land was given to Abraham who was only one, but now it's us who possess it, you know, kind of building themselves up. But we also know that, that God has told these people, uh, in, in verse 25, therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat meat with the blood in it. You people worship idols. Uh, you lift up your eyes to idols and you shed blood. Should you then possess the land? Uh, the Lord God, and jumping down to verse 27, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the waste places will fall by the sword and whoever is in the open field I will give to the beast to be devoured. And those who are in the strongholds and in the caves will die of pestilence. So those who were left behind were still punished by God. And we, we see this in, in some of the uh, predictions that, that God had given to Ezekiel in earlier chapters. So these people weren't going to be spared uh, the punishment that fell on everybody else. And God really wanted... Uh, this land to be left desolate. Uh, if, if we continue to read in, in Ezekiel 33, it, uh, 
you know, it talks about in verse 29. Let me go ahead and change my slide. In verse 29, it says, They will know that I am the Lord when I make the land a desolation and a waste because of all their abominations which they have committed. God was going to make this land desolate. Nobody would live there. Nobody would go there. It would be desolate and left for 70 years. This was, you know, the punishment wasn't the destruction of Jerusalem. The punishment was the destruction of Jerusalem and removal of the land for 70 years to let the land have its Sabbath, as he told them. So, you know, jumping down to verse 33, you know, God is again saying, when it comes to pass, as surely it will, then they will know that a prophet has been in their midst. You know, all these things God did to Egypt and did in, in Jerusalem, did repeatedly in, this, in the book of Ezekiel. It talks about so that they will know that I am God. Uh, and also he's giving a, a stamp of approval on his prophet here. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. All the ridicule that, that Ezekiel received from the people around him for the things that he was saying, when it all came to pass, they would realize that he really was a prophet of God. And we need to recognize uh, and, and understand that, that you know, the things that God wants to bring about, he's going to bring about. And we're just about to get into a part of this book that's really talking about some, some things that have yet to be completely fulfilled. So we'll, we'll get into that in weeks to come, but we're going to close here now, and I'm a few minutes over. Let's pray. Father, watch over us in this time, uh, these days that that could become difficult for us. And, and you, you still judge men individually on the basis of what they believe, not just what they do. And we are grateful that you can see into the hearts of men, that you know where men's hearts lie and that you call men to turn their hearts toward you to lay aside those things that separate us from god the israelites and their idols and and us and our love for money and and self that pride all of the things that that tear us away from you you ask us to turn away from so help us to see uh those stumbling blocks in our lives that we might be uh living our lives in a manner consistent with your calling for us, that we would be bringing honor and glory to you in, in everything that we say and do uh, every day and every moment of our lives. Gather us near to you and hold us safe. In Christ's precious and holy name I pray, amen.